Hello, Spookies, and welcome to Rick or Treat Horrorcast, hosted by yours, Ghoulie, Ricky J. Duarte. This is my holiday episode for 2023. Last year, I covered Krampus and the original Black Christmas. This year, I'm skipping Christmas altogether. I'm not like a bah humbug Scrooge. I'm just not really feeling it, but I'm all about saying goodbye to this year and hello to a new one. So today, we're going to talk about a New Year's Eve slasher. But before we get there, I'd love to introduce my guest. My guest this week, is an actor, writer, and director, as well as one of the many incredible filmmakers I recently met at the New York City Horror Film Festival. Her short film, When You're Gone, began its festival run at the Coney Island Film Festival in September 2022, and just wrapped its run at its 25th festival selection, the New York City Horror Film Festival, this month. Throughout its tour, the film won Best Director at Atlanta Horror Film Fest, Best Director for a Short Film at Genre Blast, and Best Actress for a Short Film at Horror Origins Film Festival, and was nominated for Best Makeup Effects at Film Quest, Best Horror Film at Austin After Dark Film Fest, and also Best Horror Film at Oregon Screams. Holy cow, what what the hell, what a great movie. Here to discuss her short film, her journey as a filmmaker, and her love of sewer creatures is the incredibly talented Kristen Noriega. (laughs) Hello. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm really, really grateful you took the time to be here. I'm super grateful you asked me to participate. This is awesome. Thank you. You're so welcome. Your short blew me away. It absolutely left an impact on me and I could not stop thinking about it. And I was so excited after the block of shorts and the, the shorts program to go and speak with you about it. Uh, I was there. I don't, I haven't gotten to talk about this on the podcast yet. I attended the New York City Horror Film Festival uh, representing Rue Morgue to uh, report on it and cover it and meet some incredible filmmakers and watch. I sat through nine features and 41 short films uh, in three days. Oh yeah, it was so incredible. It was so much fun. But Kristen, would you just take a moment, introduce yourself and tell us all about your film? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm Kristen Noriega. I um, made a short creature feature (laughs) um, about a woman living in New York City. She's a lapsed writer um, going through a really gnarly breakup. Um, And in her self-destructive spiral, uh, she fails to realize that there's an invasion of sewer creatures coming up from the streets of uh, New York City. And um, basically one of them takes her hostage and it's a fight to survive. It's a really great showcase of fast to the point storytelling. That's what I really love about short horror films. It's it's oftentimes maybe my favorite part of a film festival are the shorts um, because you see these budding filmmakers and you know you never know in a couple of years where they're going to go. And I think it takes a lot of uh, intention and talent to get in, tell an amazing story and then get out and leave the audience uh, with you know an impression. And yours certainly did. Can you talk to me a little bit? Because you are an actor as well. What was it like going from being in front of the camera to then stepping behind? 
It was tremendously uh, intimidating. I honestly uh, wrote the film because um, I was in a pretty dark place as an actor. Um, I had an offer reneged because the project got funding and they wanted to look for a name actor. Um, and these were friends of mine and um, they're friends now too. But um, oh my God. it just uh, really sent me into kind of a, you know, my brain understood the logic behind it, but my heart was just like torn and um, I was really, really depressed. And somewhere along the way, I got this image of someone who's so depressed that they don't notice this creature has cocooned them in like this webby thing. Um, and when the person notices, they don't care. Like they roll back over and just go to sleep kind of thing, um, which is a really uh, familiar image in terms of like depression. Uh, for me and my past with that um, and I just thought you know what why don't I just write myself a role um, utilizing this image and have fun with it and write a movie that I would want to see um, and use the crew that I've worked as an actor with multiple times um, see if they're on board for it and there was some question about who would direct it and eventually I thought you know what I'm just going to direct it uh, I wrote it um, you know, I, it would be weird. I don't know. I just couldn't picture anyone else doing it. I thought, you know what, why not? Now's the time now or never. Why wouldn't I just direct it? See what happens. Um, and so that's kind of how that came about. I did, um, I reached out to my producer friend and said, here's the script, here's the scope. Like what would the, what is this going to cost us? Um, and once I had that number, which was very scary, um, <laughs> I, I uh, did a lot of research on crowdfunding um, and watched every tutorial that there is um, and begrudgingly, you know, got that started and it was terrifying and stressful, but successful. Um, and shortly thereafter, we we shot for five days and that was it. Now it's a, a whole thing. It is a whole thing too. I mean, you know, this list of accolades that I just mentioned in your intro is really mind blowing and congratulations. I think it's really incredible that you were honored and recognized for many of the roles, multiple roles that you, you know, acting and directing and film. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think that, I mean, I'm proud of you and I hardly know you yet, but I'm really, I, I hope that you're very proud of yourself too. Thank you very much. Um, sometimes it hits me. Sometimes okay. it really does. Um, and I get teary eyed and, um, you know, we, I, I think so often we don't celebrate our wins for ourselves, you know, mm -hmm. we're just so caught on the next thing. Um, but yeah, I, it's given me a level of confidence in so many ways, not just as an actor and not just as a filmmaker, but as a human on this planet, um, that I'm really, really grateful that everything came together the way that it did. Um, and it has to with filmmaking. It's it's a miracle any movie ever gets made. And so there's this cosmic sort of coming together of people and minds and things that happen that makes like true magic. I know it sounds super cheesy, but yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. As artists, we oftentimes do kind of overlook our successes, or at least if I'm speaking for myself, I don't let them land or I don't hold on to them for long enough, you know? Yep. And um, and I think yeah. it's incredible that this film is doing what it's doing. You have really inspired me. I'm, you know, writing my first screenplay and it's a feature, which like I 
probably am crazy for jumping straight to features, but it's a film that I intend to be in as well because it's reflective of my own lived experience. And Amazing. it's a horror film. Yeah, it's a horror film, you yeah, know, about my journey with addiction and recovery. And so um, watching you do this so successfully is really inspiring to me. So thank you for that. That means a lot. And yeah. yeah, it's like your story, somebody else needs to hear, needs to see, I want to hear it and see it. And it's like, good for you. I, I, I yes. <laughs> I think you mentioned that um, when we spoke at the uh, New York City Horror Film Festival. And I was like, absolutely. Like, just go for it. Awesome. I'm excited for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. I just got to write the thing, you know, you know, I met so many incredible people at the festival and I, I felt so welcomed. I think going in with a press pass, you never know, um, how that's going to go as far as like interacting with people and, and everything, but everyone was so welcoming and you were so kind and always said hi between programs and, and everything. So, so I'm so, so glad that we hit it off. Uh, you also mentioned to me while I was interviewing you for Rue Morgue that you are a huge Godzilla fan and a huge like creature fan and you use practical effects in this film. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah. Um, I was, kicking myself throughout writing because I just thought, why am I doing this to myself? This is impossible, um, truly impossible. The creatures as I was describing them and writing them. Um, and we, it took us a long time to find our uh, makeup team because of the budget that we had. Um, I knew what I was asking for. I understood that certain folks just couldn't afford to do that or you know, wouldn't do it for that amount. I get it. Um, and so months are passing. We're maybe in the middle of our crowdfunding campaign in, um, let's see, it was September of 2021. And I heard an interview actually on a podcast, uh, last podcast on the left. And I oh, heard yeah. an interview with um, Shane Morton and he um, did like the makeup effects on uh, your pretty face is going to hell, which is oh, an awesome cool. show. It started on Adult Swim. I highly encourage watching it. Yes. Um, and he also made like Cheddar Goblin uh, for Mandy. Cool. Oh, that's yeah. so iconic. There's like a pop vinyl of Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I was so engaged and so I could just listen to him talk about his work on practical effects like forever. Um, and I got it into my head, like, let's see how access accessible he is. Um, maybe I'll just email him and I certainly can't afford him, but maybe he's got somebody, you know, wanting to show off their chops um, that we could afford. Um, and he took a phone call a couple of days later after I emailed him and we hit it off on the phone. Again, I could listen to him talk all day about his work. Um, and he agreed to do it himself. And um I come to find out he's like a Godzilla head, like absolutely obsessed. Um, and so I think that's what drew him to it as well, especially my concept art that I had um, gotten with an artist to make. It looked very Godzilla-like, very like tough and mean and uh, for our mother creature. Um, and I think that's what really pulled him in as well. Um, and he was willing to work within our budget. He drove all the way from Atlanta with his uh, partner. Um, he runs a Silver Scream effects lab. So Shane, you know, he already has a, like a wealth of materials and access to so many things. And he called it kit bashing, where he would just take old pieces and like re reuse them, repurpose them. Um, and he had this like sick set of like 
creature gloves basically claws all the way up to the elbow that he's like I've been wanting to use these like here we go I'm definitely gonna uh utilize them um and his partner is also a monster actor like he's just one of those folks he's very tall very slim he knows how to like actually embody like the monster whichever type it is uh and so I had that going for me I had a monster actor in a monster suit um and he actually brought set pieces as well <laughs> um so you know we didn't shoot um there's you know my character gets stuck up in a corner at one point mm -hmm. um we didn't shoot up in a corner we shot flat on the ground um and we needed those big um pieces to um look as though it was the brick wall and the flat wall um and he brought those i, I don't know how big they were like eight feet by four feet each um I in his sprinter van i was wondering how you accomplished that because it looks yeah. so good i was sitting there in the theater and i was like what the hell how is this done you know like it was it's it looks incredible yeah um thank you um but that's what i mean by so many things came together and and you know there's one that one composite shot that sets it up right and then you you believe she's in the corner mm -hmm. of that yes. ceiling um which is my production designer happens to do visual effects also um and so he did that for us too um and that was just kind of the process. We became a, a tight knit like family over those five days. Um, and you never know how it's gonna work with somebody new, introducing someone new to like, Shane could have had an ego, um, but he absolutely didn't. Like he just came in and would always ask me like, what's your dream? What's your vision? Like, let's do that. Oh. Um, he was so incredible to work with. I love that. Oh my God, well, it certainly, it. it totally paid off have you all right speaking of godzilla have you seen godzilla minus one yet oh my god yes and i need to get back to the theater as soon as possible to see it I again might go see it tonight i have so much work to do but like i want to i don't want to miss this this is a moment you know it's i'm it so happy really that it's, yeah such a big a big deal well uh i where is it possible for my listeners to catch your feature somewhere is it accessible is it going to be made accessible and then i also want to know what's next for you um so I believe in January, I'm going to go ahead and, and put um, the short up on Vimeo. Um, you know, it will be under, you know, when you're gone. Um, and I'll have links to that on my Instagram, which is just my name, Kristen Noriega. And beyond that, I'm going to hit the ground running, trying to get funding for the feature length version. Um, I am working with a woman who makes these incredible pitch decks, like next level she gets so into it and i love making them but mine still just look like a basic powerpoint presentation okay. um so a pitch deck is essentially showing uh what you intend to do with investors money um and with the success of the short uh hopefully we can make that happen i am so excited and shane is on board to make the creatures there's more than one this time and it's just that that's what I'm very much looking forward to 2024 is getting those uh, gears turning for that feature length version. I, I, I celebrate this and I can't wait to see what, what happens with it. Congratulations. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, all right. So uh, every episode, we like to do a couple of horror recommendations for things, media that you have enjoyed recently, books or movies, music, video games, anything. Kristen, do you have anything that you've recently enjoyed? 
Um, recently, there are a couple books that I've just completely devoured. One of them, it, it's not necessarily recent, recent, but one of them is Tender as the Flesh um, by Agustina Bastarica. She's Argentinian. Um, it's a very quick read and it's uh, it's something else. It's, it's a horror story. Um, basically, it, it involves cannibalism and um, dystopian all of the stuff that I like, right? All the weird stuff. I can't recommend it enough. And then I've really gotten into an author named V Castro, uh, V the letter Castro. She's this amazing um, Mexican-American author. Um, she also makes quick reads. You can get through the latest that I've read from her. The one's called Goddess of Filth. It's like a possession story of these three young girls having to deal with one of them gets possessed by this ancient like uh, Aztec spirit. And then the next one I've read from her was uh, Switchblades and Hairspray um, involving like a shape, these shape-shifting sisters. And there's like a slasher on the loose, like going after strippers. And it's just like, I've never read anything like it. I just, she's incredible. Um, and the artwork on her books is pretty sick also. So nice. those are the two recent authors I've really been into. I don't often get to talk about books on this on this show. I am getting back into reading and I'm really proud of myself because I used to be an avid reader and I just don't always have the attention span these days. But a couple of years ago, a friend of mine sent me the book Mexican Gothic uh, by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Have you read this one? Yes. Oh my God, I'm loving it. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a recommendation even after I do. I'm having so much fun with this. Quick read and also gorgeous art in the in the on the book as well. And, uh, you know, this kind of point of view and perspective that I personally don't always have access to in, in the things that I read. So I'm so excited to finish this story. I, I heard that it's been picked up for like a mini series, uh, which Amazing. I would love to see it adapted for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, friend of the podcast, Armando Munoz recently, uh, well, just this month released a novelization of Silent Night, Deadly Night, the 1984 slasher classic. And uh, yeah, he also wrote uh, the novelization of My Bloody Valentine and just announced that he will be uh, writing the Happy Birthday to Me novelization. So uh, it's kind of a, it's great. It's a Kickstarter kind of way that they publish these books. So I know Silent Night, Deadly Night sold out. I think there will probably be a reprint, but um, I love his writing. Oh my God, I love his writing. He just expands these worlds. Cause like Silent Night, Deadly Night is a very thin plot. Let's be honest, <laughs> but he's cushed it and made it so much more interesting. And uh, so I love that. And uh, it's, it's you can still kind of join the Kickstarter and uh, pre-order Happy Birthday to Me. Um, one film that I'm dying to talk about, I saw it back in October at IFC Center and I haven't gotten to talk about it on the podcast yet is Suitable Flesh. Uh, it's a... Uh -huh. Yeah, a, a Lovecraft adaptation of The Thing at the Door. It stars Heather Graham. Oh and it's all about, you know, body swapping and soul swapping. But it's filmed as though it's like a 90s Skinamax erotic thriller. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was clever as fuck. I think you have to be of the age where you would like sneak peeks at like the erotic thrillers late at night, you know, when your parents went to bed. Like it, it's just this very specific vibe that this film has, but I thought it was really interesting uh, take on gender swapping and Heather Graham given a chance to shine, you know? She's I think that incredible. like- incredible. Yeah. She was so and good in Boogie exudes. Nights and then- I met her in person once and she just like exudes 
sex. Like she's just gorgeous and amazing. And I'm really happy that she was given a chance. Um, I keep hearing about suitable flash. And so I need to check it out. I don't know if it's, I know it's coming to shutter, but I don't know when. And then Barbara Crampton is in it. And here's my thing. A lot of these, you know, newer horror films and uh, lower budget horror films have, uh, kind of like the horror con dream team, you know, like the 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 celebrities that show up at every horror con and they become part of the community and they're wonderful with their fans, like uh, Felissa Rose or D Wallace, and but they only get to be in these movies for like ninety seconds, right? Yeah. They get top billing, but you only see them for a minute. Barbara Crampton is like secondary lead in this film, and she's incredible in it. She's so good. It's it's cool yeah. to see her given something to do. And it's directed by the same guy who directed Reanimator. Why can't I think of his name? Or no, um, written by the guy who wrote Reanimator. Directed oh, by name. Joe Lynch, I believe. Um, so cool to see her kind of working on another Lovecraft with that same writer, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And the two of them in a film together. Like, I don't know what more you could ask for, honestly. Seriously, I highly recommend. Really a fun, a fun, bizarre watch. And uh, the rare successful Lovecraft adaptation, I think. Yeah. But, uh, well, all right, Kristen, we came here to discuss a movie. What do you say we go trick-or-treating? Let's do it. All right, so today we are discussing the 1980, I can't call it a classic, I can barely call it a slasher, but the 1980 cinematic experience, New Year's Evil. (laughs) All right, before we move forward, do you have any, um, like, New Year's resolutions you're willing to share with listeners? Um... I do actually. I uh, I don't know what it is. I just I and we we actually did some karaoke at um, the end of New York City Horror Film Festival. Hell yeah, we um, did. And now I'm hooked, <laughs> and I'm determined to like take myself on uh, karaoke solo dates, like master dates, and go sing by myself somewhere and scream my lungs out. And um, I want to do that, you know, in the new year more than once. <laughs> I love uh, that you were singing when I walked I got there a little bit late when I, when I walked in you were, I, were you were you were singing don't you want me baby right yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah no it was great <laughs> don't 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 it was so great you were that was so much fun I was really I felt really lucky to get invited to the after party yeah yeah you were incredible I you will have to um in the future go karaoke together more I than that I would totally love that for sure. Yeah, yeah, that was that was so much fun. All right, so more karaoke in your life. I I support that. How about yourself? Oh God, finish that screenplay. And, yes. and I mean, that's a big one for me. It's kind of like my MO. I want to get out of the service industry. It's been 19 years. Yes. I don't want to make it 20 or 21, you know, and yeah. um, I want to lose 40 more pounds. You know, I've lost 60. <laughs> Let's keep where? going, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's it. That's it for me. But uh, some of the characters in this movie we're talking about did not get to live out their New Year's resolutions, <laughs> as it were. The, the film was produced by Canon Films. So throughout the 80s, if you saw a Chuck Norris movie, it came from Canon Films or like they did um, Masters of the Universe. Uh, they also did Texas wow. Chainsaw 2. And then I don't know if you've ever seen it's a terrible musical called The Apple. No, 
I am obsessed with it. It's, when I t- say terrible, it's over the top. I, I kind of want to talk about it on the podcast, but it's not a horror movie, but it's like genre oh. and it's, I don't know. I'm going to try to fin- finagle a way to cover it. But anyway, yeah. so Canon did very not great, but very entertaining movies, including this one, New Year's Evil. Uh, aside from Texas Chainsaw 2, which is primarily a comedy, really, this is their only foray into horror. I think I think it was all genre, but but this is really their only and probably because the movie didn't take off might be why they didn't continue it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's directed by Emmett Alston and then written by it took two people to write this story. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> Leonard Neubauer and and director Emmett Alston starring Roz Kelly as Diane Sullivan, a.k.a. Blaze, who was pinky. On fucking happy days, uh, Pinky Tescadoro, she was the Fonz's girlfriend for like oh a brief. God. Yeah, she was like as cool as the Fonz. She wore a pink jacket. And, um, you know, this is the only other thing anyone might ever know her from. <laughs> and then uh, Kip Niven as evil. I think he gives an interesting performance. We'll get into it as we go along. Grant Kramer as Derek, Diane's son. Now, he was in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Mm -hmm. Uh, as the lead in that and then i don't think his career really did much else uh we have chris wallace as lieutenant clayton jed mills as diane's manager ernie and then i'm just going to mention louisa moritz as sally because sally's kind of the ditzy blonde character i adore her performance in this film Mm -hmm. Uh, she's in a whole nother movie altogether and i would rather be watching that movie (laughs) if i'm being honest i also uh and then we have alicia denif uh Alicia Danifu as Yvonne, who the movie starts with her. She only has four minutes of screen time and then she's killed. Mm -hmm. And like, she's the character I want to follow throughout this movie. Like in her four minutes, she seems cool and together. And then she doesn't make it. But all right, we'll talk about that. Another, (laughs) I'm going to call it a character of this film is the theme song called New Year's Evil. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh man. Written by Roxanne Seaman and Eddie Del Barrio of the band Shadow. They're featured in the film. How do you feel about this song? I dig it. I also, I don't know what it is. I have a soft spot for this uh, trope, especially where like a movie has a song made specifically for it. Oh yeah. Um, and not only does it open with it and end with it, but there's a band in the film that plays it as yes! well. Yes. <laughs> And I'm not mad at it. It's a it's a bop. Like I I'm not, I like it. I know my social media manager is gonna kill me if I play a clip from it because we we're now uploading on YouTube. Oh my god, let me mention that my YouTube has taken off like thousands and thousands of viewers per episode and like I, I think up to maybe like 700 subscribers. I don't know what's happening, but I'm having a moment and I'm grateful to yes. Stanley, my social media manager, for making this happen. And uh, but I'm probably gonna play a clip of the song anyway because you have to hear it. It's it's <laughs> hand in hand with this movie. Like you said, you hear it opening credits, closing credits, and somewhere in the middle. Like they were proud of this and they should be. Here's my thing. This movie is following what they are 
describing as like the new wave music scene, mm -hmm. but there's no like there's no new wave music in this film. It's like no. punk looking characters who are singing like seventies metal music, yes. being called new wave. It, it, <laughs> yeah, uh, they are that very definition punk looking characters. Yeah. Like I don't know whose cartoonish idea it was, but um those. <laughs> that's what they are they're like actors trying to look punk or yes. like i'm not sure but <laughs> yeah i think i used the word cartoonish somewhere in my synopsis because it <laughs> it's like the producers or the writers were just like hey what are the kids into these days they're calling music new wave but we don't know what it is they just it doesn't work so much in this how cool work. would it have been if there was new wave in it like oh my god <laughs> it would be so much better <laughs> Because it here's the thing the the New Year's party that they are at, in theory, is a party that I would totally go to. Yeah, but it has less of a decor theme going than like a high school prom, and ev everyone who's there is some of the worst. They're not like punk, like jumping up and down or running or hitting each other. They're just kind of stumbling around like zombies. I kept thinking that it, they were moving like zombies and I have a note about like interesting choices in sound design because like the band is playing and they're like rocking out and all you hear all of a sudden is the shuffling of like everybody's <laughs> shoes like and it's just like I, I'm like what is the point like what are they trying what's gonna happen now that we're listening to all these shoes it's like nothing just yeah. like people swaying back and forth very much like zombies I don't know yeah, like, yeah interesting what is had you I, I like to ask people what is your relationship to this film you had had you seen it before we talked about doing this episode I had not but as soon as you told me the title I was very much on board <laughs> <laughs> well it's a better title than it is a movie <laughs> I watched it for the first time either last year or the year before you know in the month of December I think it was like a a poster or an image that I had seen around and uh, I had really forgotten 98% of this movie and now I know why um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting time 1980 because it's the same year that Friday the 13th came out. Yeah. But kind of the rules of slasher films have not been defined yet. Right. It kind of reminds right. me of happy birthday to me in that the tropes are starting to form, but they're not concrete. Um, and then I also see this film taking from Giallo uh, films mm -hmm. as well with kind of the black leather gloves and the voice on the phone and his this ridiculous voice that he speaks in on the phone. What is that? Oh my God. It's um, <laughs> almost as bad as, is it the New York Ripper where his voice sounds like Donald Duck? Have you seen that one? <gasps> no. It's literally just Donald Duck's voice making threatening oh, obscene phone no. calls. But I remember being upset too with like how, and especially I think it's the opening, he's like mouthing the voice changer mm. and like making it on words that don't even involve your tongue. And it's ugh, it's like next level gross on top of the fact that, yeah, that voice was really goofy. I don't know. Evil. <laughs> like it's just bizarre and a weird way to speak. I think they make a point of covering it up too, because Diane has asked, is this like a pattern of speech that you recognize? And yes. I feel like there are moments where they try to over cover their tracks and then don't at other moments too, you know, but, but let's, yeah. let's just get into <laughs> what happens in this film. It opens on an LA cityscape. And um, 
popular punk slash new wave slash DJ slash she, I guess she's not a singer. She never sings. Well, her name, you know, Diane Sullivan, but her stage name is Blaze, uh, mm -hmm. is getting her makeup done in her hotel room. She's got hot pink cheeks, hot pink eyebrows, very, very, very early 80s. And I love it. Uh, and uh, her manager, Ernie, who she's also romantically involved in, is trying to hurry her. She tells him to drop a lewd and relax. Uh, and so, you know, 1980s. I mean, quaaludes were a thing back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we discover that her assistant, Yvonne, has finished with Blaze's press releases and has gone down to, uh, to her room to change. Blaze calls Yvonne to check if she'd gotten in touch with Richard, who we will learn more about later. Yvonne tells her he's in Palm Springs, sounded like he had a head start on his New Year's Eve celebration, and uh, not to count on him making it for the show tonight. He's coked up and he's loaded. This is no surprise. It should also be mentioned that all of this is happening in a Holiday Inn... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's right they on show the this like, la skyline and then it's like holiday in zoom in on the green cursive holiday in logo <laughs> <laughs> like this is la you have so many cool places to set this fucking film and and it's oh, holiday no. in was holiday in ever cool i don't think so i don't, I don't think so either no, oh, and it, it's, it looks much nicer, like the room and the lobby it looks much nicer than any Holiday Inn I've ever stayed at. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Yvonne is doing her makeup, and she's in the bathroom of her hotel room, and she hears the shower dripping. I actually kind of liked this setup for the kill with the dripping shower. I loved it, and it was such a magical moment for me because I have a scene in my short where you know she gets distracted by sound in the faucet, yeah, um, and goes to deal with it. And I was just like, "Oh, amazing!" And also, yeah. I didn't unconsciously put it in my film because I haven't seen this yet. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was a really cool. Actually, the kills in this movie, I'm not mad at either. I but, agree. Uh... I wish that um some of the setup was a little longer for them. Mm -hmm. They happen quickly, but they're effective, you know? Yeah. Uh, so she reaches into the shower and turns the faucet tighter. So the dripping stops and goes back to her makeup when there's a knock at the door. And uh, she asks who's there. There's no answer. When she opens it, she sees someone walking away down the hall, but doesn't really suspect them. She locks the door and returns to her makeup. And the faucet in the shower is dripping again which I love. Like, I don't know. It's just, didn't I take care of this? Why is it dripping again? And when she reaches yeah. in again to turn it off, she is grabbed. Her mouth is covered by a gloved hand, black leather glove and a switchblade in the other hand. Um, and she expires. Now this is the only woman of color in the film and she makes it to the three minute and 57 minute mark. So yep. we are in 1980 for sure. 100%. Yep. We cut to the opening credits. Uh, it's shots of downtown LA with the title card, New Year's Evil, and the theme song is playing. A gold convertible full of punks and hooligans and ruffians causing trouble drives up and down the boulevard. They're smoking and drinking and giving other cars the fingers. One car drives past and a girl is like flashes them. Uh, makes LA no look like a apparent reason. Yeah, no reason. Yeah, <laughs> makes LA look like a wild, wild place. I like LA a lot. I don't. If I were to live in LA, I would want to be filthy rich. I can be broke in New York and make it work. If I live in LA, mm -hmm. I need I need to be dripping with wealth. Yeah, I can't speak to that because I have yet to, to be there. But um, 
yeah, I had that note as well. It's like, it's such an LA set movie in the way yeah. that, you know, there's like New York horror movies and there's like LA horror movies. And yeah, I also found it so interesting that the, there's an LAPD officer taking tickets for the event for whatever reason. I don't know why they put him on that duty. If that's a thing, like, I don't think it is. No, totally. Cause yeah. Cause the, these uh, punks pull into the hotel, like kind of circle to the, the front door and the LAPD officer is like, where are your tickets? Got your tickets. And <laughs> why, like, why are you here, sir? Uh, one of them produces a switchblade that turns out to be a comb. And he laughs about it. Cause he's a, punk <laughs> which i no real punk would carry a switchblade comb they would carry a switchblade oh, knife absolutely punk enough now ernie the manager and blaze are talking about beating the networks for primetime ratings uh when her son derek walks in with roses here this whole opening setup was overwhelming for me to try to write my synopsis. Normally I can type as I go along, this 86 minute movie took me like two hours and 15 minutes to write my synopsis about because they just drop the plot line really quickly. Yeah. And if you're not paying attention, you're not really gonna catch on to what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. So her son, Derek walks in with roses, which she will not take from him because her nails are wet. Let's talk just a little bit about Di uh, Diane as a character and her relationship to her son. I did listen to a couple other podcasts about this film and there was a lot of talk about her age and how in a film like this, she's too old to play a lead character in a horror film, which I think is bullshit. See, I saw it as like how, you know, I know it's such a buzzword, like, but progressive this film was in the sense that the lead is an older um woman that you know you just don't see cast like that she's a sex symbol she's this she's incredibly successful she's older old enough to have a son who's i don't know question mark 15 to 25 i suppose um, <laughs> somewhere in there it's like somewhere. i literally cannot tell how old you are sir <laughs> <laughs> um but i just thought it was really cool you know especially being in 1980 um and i think she has tremendous sex appeal but anyway yeah that's interesting that's funny Totally agree. Uh, I she was thirty seven when they filmed this. Uh, when they filmed this, that's amazing. Yeah, so my age actually. Uh, I do think that she is poorly written, and I don't think that. And I, I know as a man, when I say a female character is not likable, it's going to sound problematic. But like, she's very dismissive of her child. She's very. Um, she's written to be this way, right? She's written mm -hmm. to be like very self centered, but also career focused. And so we've got this written by men film about a successful woman who has a you know husband and a child and it's like she's not given a chance as a character to be interesting or likable. And it's a real yeah. shame because I think that she really could have been like a character that we really root for, but if I'm honest, I don't know that there's anyone in this movie that I root for. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, they really pushed that narrative of like the woman who, you know, is overambitious. It's either the career or the husband or the kid, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Derek, the son, tries to tell her that he got a part in a new sci-fi TV show called American Starship. <laughs> <laughs> is it Spaceship America? No, it was American Starship. I think so. Or maybe it was Spaceship America. Damn it, I, I should have written wrote it down. down. Spaceship America exclamation okay. point. All right, so then that's it. Which I would totally watch, by the way. 
she uh he tries to tell his mom but she's just uh distracted or disinterested i mean she's about to go on stage you know um she tells she takes a moment and is like listen after the show i'll take you to dinner we'll talk all about it he's disappointed uh he asks where dad is and he's told that dad's in palm springs he's not feeling well and uh, diane invites him upstairs to watch the show but he declines saying he will watch it on tv now in the club or the, I don't know, Holiday Inn Banquet Hall? Like what space in a Holiday Inn did they have for this? Which I guess is on the very top of the hotel because they keep showing this like round top of the building. Uh, the New Year's Eve show has started. It's called Hollywood Hotline. It's a countdown of new wave rock and uh, people are calling in to vote for the number one song of the year. Uh, she does announce that they are simulcast on radio and TV at the same time. And she's working the crowd and she, she's got this really biz, bizarre way of talking like, Oh, I'm hip and cool and sexy. And she's, she uses the phrase you want to boil your head or just very, um, I don't know. She informs the crowd that, um, that they should be bad tonight before they make their new year's resolutions tomorrow and that's why they call the party new year's evil she explains that they will watch in satellite the arrival of midnight in three different time zones so she's in correspondence with a reporter in times square who tells her it's 58 mm -hmm. minutes till midnight there and then she checks in with her correspondent in chicago who says they'll ring in the new year one after new york in central time then Aspen, Colorado, <laughs> of all places, representing time zone. I guess I don't know. <laughs> representing Mountain Time. I grew up in Phoenix, so Mountain Time was what I grew up on. It is a thing, but it's yeah. like not. It's just not. It's a thing, but it's not really a thing, you know. <laughs> uh, so she checks in with the people manning the phones, and uh, when she picks up a phone and wishes her caller a happy New Year, and the caller. We see the caller wearing all black with black gloves, standing in a phone booth and speaks in just the ridiculous. It sounds voice. like he needs to clear his throat. It was yeah. really irritating. Yeah, like, <laughs> ah, ha, ha, call me evil. That's a very accurate uh, yeah, impression. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm an actor. Uh, she, <laughs> Uh, tells him that he sounds like the Phantom, which I actually think might be a reference to Phantom of the Paradise. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, or Phantom of the Opera in general. Uh, yeah. He says, you could call me that, but, you know, or just call me evil. And she asks for his vote for the top song of the year, but he gives her his New Year's resolution instead. He tells her he's going to commit murder at midnight. He's going to kill someone she knows, someone close to her. Now we cut to Derek watching this happen on TV from his hotel room. We cut back to Diane slash Blaze. I'm just kind of calling her Blaze from now on. Uh, Blaze yeah. hands the phone to someone and just plays it off to the audience saying, well, we're off to an interesting start. Must be a full moon. And then she introduces the house band, Shadow, who sings the theme song, <laughs> Here's Evil. <laughs> that we just heard five minutes prior. Blaze tells Ernie, her manager, she's freaked out and would like more police protection. It really kind of unsettles her, but he blows her off, telling her that they already have cops there and the crowd dances and acts wildly. He's basically like, what do you expect when you're such a like punk advocate? Like, he's like, what do you, you know, what kind of people do you expect to attract? I Kristen, she was asking for it. 
he was at literally i think he said that. <laughs> that's what like that's the that's the mo that's that's the message that he's trying to get across you're asking for it fuck this movie man so <laughs> we cut to this figure in black aka evil whose face we can now plainly see sets this film apart from other slashers in that we see this killer fate this early plain as day for the entire film he actually has a character he speaks and he you know seduces and uh it, it's again the time before we had the the formula set for this type of film uh he's mm-hmm. getting something out of his trunk next to that payphone and then he runs to a sanitarium and sneaks in inside yeah, we get these shots that are far too long of patients in the in the sanitarium acting like absolute caricatures of anybody with mental illness. Yes. Frankly offensive. Their New Year's Eve, you know, hats on. Yeah, yeah, and their hospital gowns. So they're watching the broadcast, Blaze's broadcast on the TV in the sanitarium. Now, Evil hides in a dark room when a nurse named Jane, she's smoking a cigarette because... 1980 in a hospital uh, walks past the door and he opens it and startles her introduces himself as Jeff winter and apologizes for being late. Um, But they send him over from County temporary help and the nurse buys it and offers him a tour of the hospital and uh, remarks. Oh, you brought your own music. He has a radio slash tape recorder on a shoulder strap, um, which is actually handy. I never really saw one on a shoulder strap before. Yeah. It's like a messenger bag, but it's a, it's a, Boombox, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, he produces a bottle of champagne and asks if they can find somewhere private to share it. And she obliges. And they drink the champagne out of white paper pill cups or like specimen cups. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Jane, she is like the epitome. She looks like a penthouse, like sexy nurse. All I could think of was Animaniacs when they're just like, hello, nurse. Yes. And it was just... It's ridiculous. Yes. Um, yeah. No real nurse has ever looked like that. She's in like she's in like four inch heels. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 thin it's spike so heels. <laughs> so much makeup, cleavage for days. Mm-hmm. We cut to the broadcast. Manager Ernie introduces Blaze to Lieutenant Clayton and Sergeant Green. They're from the LAPD and they offer to protect her. They tell her that she should expect that kind of phone call considering the type of audience she appeals to. So she's getting it from the cops and her fucking manager slash sex partner. She's told to, she's told try to keep him on the phone for longer if he calls back so they can try to trace it. So now we're kind of pulling from like Black Christmas and um, when a stranger calls and uh, these cops are just super judgmental toward her. It's really shitty. Blaze calls her son's room and he seems afraid to answer the phone like he lets it ring multiple times. And she asks if he's seen Yvonne, the personal assistant. Uh, he says he hasn't, and he says his dad's line has been busy. Uh, and he he tries to tell her there's something that you should know, something important, but she says she has to go. So Derek puts down the receiver and swallows three pills. The biggest pills I've seen ever. There's Massive. exactly three. They're horse pills. I'm like, what is happening right now? You almost get a sense that he's about to, like, you know, commit suicide, but it's... I, I don't know what those red pills are. <laughs> I don't either. Um, they are massive. They're hot pink. And yeah. uh, and he downs them. So he's going through something. And we start to realize that he's disturbed. Mm. Cut to evil and Nurse Jane dancing and making out the sanitarium. He lays her down on a table. 
And we cut to the patients who are watching the broadcast in Times Square uh, as Times Square counts down to midnight. And Evil's radio is counting down the final minute as well. He reaches over to record the broadcast on his tape recorder, reaches into his pocket, pulls out a switchblade, and plunges it into the nurse, stabbing her five times at exactly the stroke of midnight. On the broadcast, Blaze answers a phone call, and it's Evil again. I he says something like, uh, it's me, evil. Do you remember me? <laughs> what? So now she's trying to buy time with small talk. Yeah, I was hoping you'd call back. And uh, he does admit he just made his first kill. Midnight Eastern Standard Time. And he plays the recorded countdown over the phone. And we hear Jane getting stabbed over the countdown. So this is all being broadcast live on TV. Uh, he says she'll hear from him in an hour. And uh, she, he tells her, tell the police they can find her body somewhere in the Crawford Sanitarium. And he hangs up the phone. So why are they trying to trace these calls? Like, why do they continue to try to trace if he's just telling people where he is? Right. Um, There's also that. <laughs> it, yeah. I do think this film borrows a lot from the serial killers of the time, including this trope of wanting, almost wanting to get caught. Mm-hmm. a little bit, leaving a trail. Uh, another nurse discovers Jane's bloody high heel shoe and then her body in a closet and her throat has been slit. We're going to cut to Derek in his hotel room and now he has a switchblade and he's cutting away at a red nylon stocking and talks to himself in the mirror saying something in his past has affected him and, uh, you know, I bet you think I have a mental disorder. And then he puts the nylon stocking over his face and he shoves a dress pin or maybe a hat pin into his earlobe that's what i thought he was doing or is yeah it his ear for no for some inapparent reason yeah like a like a sewing pin with a big i think white head or something like yeah that. yeah yeah uh he watches his mom on tv as he tries to make a phone call but the line is busy and so he begins to tear the roses that he brought his mom off the stems as an actor this is like my dream scene i just want to have a mental breakdown like a ridiculous over-the-top mental breakdown on camera <laughs> it's a lot of it's it's interesting yeah and i guess so, learning learning what we we learn a little bit later maybe pill, pulling the pedals off is a little bit of uh she loves me she loves me not moment for him as well yep or maybe i'm just trying to add some intelligence to this film that's <laughs> not there. Now, Blaze takes a break from the broadcast uh, while Evil is seen gluing a mustache onto his face, a fake mustache. One of the cops tells Blaze it looks like this creep is for real, that they found the nurse's mutilated body at the sanitarium. Uh, Blaze gets obviously upset, but the cop tells her that the hotel is filled with police and no one has seen anything in the hotel. We cut to a discotheque, a singles bar, where Evil lights a like a cigarillo and cruises around the bar looking for his prey. He spots his prey, Sally, at the other end of the bar, and he lights her. He walks over and lights her cigarette. And I love some, Sally. So oh much. my god, I love her so much. I wanted to like, I wanted to recite her dialogue. It's just it. I love every line that she has. I couldn't include yes. it all. She's so. <laughs> good like i she i think she looked at the script and was like i know exactly what movie this is and i am going to commit to it you know just have fun with it yeah she's like a mix of audrey from little shop of horrors with like adelaide from guys and dolls just the very kind of ditzy blonde with a high-pitched squeaky voice and she's just 
I think she's adorable. And I think she seems like a fun person to hang out with. There, I said it. 100%. I'd go out with her. I'd go dancing at a discotheque with her. (laughs) Of course. Um, the, so the cops deduce that the killer is going to kill three more people each time a time zone strikes midnight and they implore blaze, try to keep him on the phone for longer next time. Uh, evil tells the woman, Sally, that he has to head out to a party at Eric Estrada's place. (laughs) I just love that Eric Estrada is like the summoning figure that's going to get him laid, which I, I have to say. Him in that highway patrolman uniform on chips was a bit of a sexual awakening for me as a young gay boy. Sure, I totally get it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He explains that he's a business manager and he invites invites her to go along with him. Uh, We cut to the band at the broadcast singing a song called Dumb Blondes. And then just immediately, and it's like a minute long sequence. And then we just cut back to them at the bar. Uh, she says she has to go to the bathroom, meet me outside. And so he gets a little bit like antsy, right? Cause running out of time before midnight, he meets yeah. her outside and she has brought her roommate along with her. She says, you don't think I'd go out with a stranger all alone. So I'm like, good for you, Sally. Seriously taking precautions. <laughs> she, you know, may come off as ditzy, but she's not dumb. Ditzy, not, not dumb. Big difference there. <laughs> Uh, Evil says, sure, the more the merrier, and lets the girls into his Mercedes. Now, the cops explain to Blaze that the killer is using a voice changer, and uh, one of the production managers uh, tells her they're coming up to the Chicago feed, gives her the option, like, do you want to let someone else do this countdown? And she says, no, goddammit, it's my show. I'm not going to let this cutthroat ruin it for me. It's exactly what he wants. So, like, she knows someone's going to get killed, and is still like like no the show must go on i have to go do this myself and it's not it's not for sake of anything except not taking this moment from her yeah now evil is in the car driving with these two women he's visibly irritated uh (laughs) you know son of a bitch we were supposed to be there by 10 meanwhile he is starting to realize that sally is the most annoying person on the planet because she won't (laughs) shut up about like like transcendental meditation and like out of body experiences. Like she's a crystal girl. She has okay, a. Was it 100% everything <laughs> to call? She calls it TM. And I'm like, did they actually, was that a thing? Like transcendental, transcendental meditation, calling it like TM. I don't know. Um, uh, maybe. Cause like it was a, it was a thing. I mean, you know, it still is, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But it was having a moment. I, I don't know. It was like the original crystal girl. <laughs> thousand percent. She, if she lived today, she'd be in our DMS trying to get us to buy fucking <laughs> crystals left and right. Uh, no offense to any of my listeners who are also oh, crystal hey, girls. I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so. I, I had to write down one of Sally's lines. It was so incredible. Um, speaking of, I just have when a when a girl doesn't have a date on New Year's Eve, she's in shit city. Okay, <laughs> I just thought it was incredible. I wrote that line down too because it is incredible. <laughs> it's uh, so good. It is because she talks about how like we weren't looking to get picked up tonight. We just wanted to party a little bit. But it's New Year's Eve, and exactly like you said, if a girl doesn't have a date on New Year's Eve, it's shit city. Yeah, I don't have a date for New Year's Eve. I will be working. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we know she's going to get killed. And so it's super sad, I think, because she's grown on me. Yeah. Uh, Evil turns on the radio and we hear Chicago ringing in the new year, not the band, but the city. Uh, <laughs> Evil stops at a liquor store. <laughs> this, I have to, I wasn't going to include this, but like 
you All have right. to. While Sally is talking about her transcendental med- meditation, she mentions, yeah, it helped with Lisa's nervous diarrhea. Her roommate, <laughs> who is in the car with her, and she's like, Sally, shut up. <laughs> but then Lisa, the roommate, says, can we make a pit stop? <laughs> she has to go to the bathroom. So they stop at a liquor store. She goes to the bathroom. Of Sally all says, places to use the bathroom anyway. I, I don't know yeah. if that's ever been a thing, but okay. No, no you can't use the bathroom at a liquor store. But she going to have nervous diarrhea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a terrible thing to have. And we should not be making fun of it. But uh, no, not at all. So Lisa goes in while she's in there, like uh, evil hands her some money as I get the biggest bottle of champagne you can. Did you notice this interaction with her and the guy behind the liquor store counter? Because it seems like a scene was cut where they cried in each other's arms and told each other their deepest, saddest, darkest secrets. Cause he just looks her in the eyes. Like he's looking through her soul and says, I hope you have a happy new year. And she just looks at yeah. him like she's going to cry. And she's like, same to you. And then walks out and it's out of nowhere and makes sure. absolutely, it was like a second, a secondary unit director said, I'm going to go for an Oscar in this scene, <laughs> this throwaway shot. It's like a whole nother, like, I don't know, Hallmark commercial of its own. I'm not sure what's happening there, but yeah. I was going to say, can we talk about Sally's death? Yeah. Yeah, um, I just remember because, you know, he basically offers her the world's largest baggie of cocaine, but it's empty. And she puts her whole face into this empty bag and he immediately, you know, pulls it over her and starts to suffocate her. Um, But I don't know where uh, script supervision or production design or what have you, somebody dropped the ball because when when you suffocate someone with a plastic bag it doesn't just sit there still right you know um and then later you know when they show her body you can clearly see the condensation inside the bag because she's been breathing i didn't Um, even think about that yes yes but i they honestly they've gotten way too good at this uh scene now like showing someone suffocating in the plastic bag Mm. um but that was just it was very comical to me first of all that he offers her cocaine out of this I think is it weed or cocaine? Maybe it's weed. Maybe I'm thinking 1980. So cocaine everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, he he offers her. He's like, I've got this special, you know, blend of blah blah blah. So yeah, maybe I think he says from Colombia. But then he says, take a sniff. And then when she goes to smell it, yeah, he he. he, Yeah, I guess like 1980 and Colombia. I put it together that it was maybe cocaine, but (laughs) it could have been anything. Either way, it did her in, and um, truly. It's pretty, it's pretty yeah. upsetting. Yeah, Sally. Yeah, well, when she comes out of the liquor store with the bottle, she finds that the car is gone, but she does find Sally's high heel shoe in place of it. She walks around the liquor store and sees Sally's blue dress hanging out of a dumpster. She's very frightened. Obviously, when she opens it up, Evil lights a cigarette lighter and his face is um, illuminated and he pulls her inside. We cut to Blaze, listening to the struggling woman over the phone, and Evil, who is on the phone, explains he took out the trash from his last party, Ventura and Laurel Canyon. It was a real swinger, and he puts his voice changer into the trunk and changes uh, as a changes his clothes as a cop car drives past. He kind of ducks away. So the cops find blood on the dumpster, and a cat jumps out of it. My cat did not like that moment. He freaked out. <laughs> Uh, the cop follows a trail of blood through a chain link gate where he sees the sees Sally and she's tied up to a swing set like her her arms are um, like put through two gymnastic rings. And I have to say when the when the flashlight like 
finds it, it's a really spooky, scare. it caught me off guard. Cause in this movie yeah. that has no tension and is not scary at all, it was a moment of like, man, I really wish they had taken their time with this sequence. Yeah. Cause I, it yeah. just, I didn't expect it to be that effective. Um, but yes, we do see the condensation in the bag because the actress has been breathing. <laughs> it's a great thing to pick up on. Cause I, oh my God. Uh, and then we see the Lisa, the other roommate, slide down a children's slide head first. She is dead. And uh, the cops at the broadcast are informed. Now, Evil has put on a pair of Jeffrey Dahmer glasses and is dressed as a priest. And he's looking in the passenger seat at like weird pictures of a priest and a nun. And I don't know if this is to imply that he like is fucked up from the Catholic Church, maybe, or what it is, but. He pulls up to a red light when a biker gang pulls up around him surrounding his car. He turns on the radio and hears news, a news report talking about his murders and is distracted and he accidentally hits one of the biker's motorcycles and they get mad. Is a biker on one? Did he kill someone? I thought that he killed someone. Yeah, I think he That's accidentally I got. Yeah, he accidentally yeah. like runs over a biker and their motorcycle. So the bikers chase after him and like, you don't want to fuck with bikers in the eighties. Like no. they're terrifying. <laughs> I wouldn't fuck with bikers now, but you know, <laughs> a pursuit ensues. He pulls into a drive-in movie and parks and he's hiding. And the film they're showing is blood feast, blood feast. but it's not Herschel Gordon Lewis's blood feast. That's what threw me off. Yeah. Was- yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, it has a title card of blood feast. It was a double feature of like blood feast and something else. I forget what the other title was. Yeah, because for a moment I was like, how did they get the licensing to have like... Yeah, so the movie that's showing, uh, it's actually called The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. It's from 1972. But Mm -hmm. it it was also billed as Blood Feast. So I got excited thinking it was Herschel Gordon Lewis and it was not at all. Whatever. (laughs) Completely inconsequential to the plot of this movie. (laughs) Uh, The bikers pull into the drive-in looking for him. And so he lays back in his seat to hide... Then he gets out and he sees uh, the bikers accosting moviegoers and like looking in people's cars before he is stopped by one of them who says, greetings, asshole. And evil replies, I'm a man of God, not a man of violence before plunging his switchblade into the guy's stomach. Not even half a second later. Yeah, not even. Yeah, doesn't even let it land. Uh, Interrupts a necking couple who's uh, fooling around in the backseat of the car. I actually really like this girl because they're getting high and he's like, okay, now is it time to go all the way? And she's like, not yet. Maybe in the next movie. Um, <laughs> like, she's enjoying this movie. She is not just giving in to this guy's horny intentions. Yeah. So Evil pulls the guy out of the car and steals the car while the girl is still in the back seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he runs over another motorcycle out of, on his way out of the drive-in, and now he has so taken a he hostage. Does. Of course he does. <laughs> uh, the broadcast is showing Aspen. <laughs> at midnight uh they're like skiing with tor- with like fire torches it's actually kind of cool looking but it, it's still like aspen really yeah so they are five minutes away from midnight now the girl in the back seat begs evil not to hurt her this scene gets really icky uh she yeah. says she doesn't have any money and then in tears she says she'll do anything he wants we can even get it on if you want to i won't make any kind of fuss and uh this it's it's a, this movie is just full of these like really fucking ick ick moments toward women you know this is just a moment in an 80s movie where it lands in a disgusting slimy gross way that's like inexcusable to me like it's just i don't know this movie isn't fun let me say that i was gonna save it for my review but it's like this this movie is not as 
good as it should be to be a good movie and it's not as fun as it should be to be a bad movie <laughs> like yeah. you know so he's flipping his switchblade in and out he almost runs over a couple of drunk guys in the street when he stops the girl jumps out of the car and starts running this a little bit reminded me of bundy ted bundy because that though there was the woman who escaped like got out of the car and started running right yeah he chases her to a football field and uh, sirens are blaring in the distance. Those two drunk guys in the street tell the cops which way he ran. And uh, she's hiding under one of the bleachers. But a cop approaches and he runs away. And so this girl is spared. And evil is without a victim for this time zone's midnight. Now, here's the thing. This whole premise is set up on he's going to kill someone at midnight at each time zone. But, like, he didn't make it in time for Chicago's midnight. Now he doesn't even have somebody for Aspen's midnight. Right. This premise of, abandoned the yeah, premise. <laughs> yeah. And it's like if he had any kind of master plan, it went awry like 20 minutes into his evening. <laughs> <laughs> the police address the crowd at the broadcast while the show's on a commercial break. The youth are not excited to hear from a cop. He tells them if anyone leaves, they won't be admitted in, and access to this floor has been sealed until, until further notice. So no one in, no one out. Ernie. Manager is backstage comforting Blaze and introduces Dr. Reed, who is a consulting psychologist. And this is where we get our read on the killer from Dr. Reed. He says they should prepare for the killer to kill here on the hour that he has a compulsive urge. It's sequential and it's building step by step with Miss Sullivan as the connecting link to a grand climax with his ultimate victim. Blaze. He compares evil's motives with those of the son of Sam killer or the Zodiac killer that he could potentially become bigger than either of them. And it's revealed that evil has mutilated the breasts of these women, which is a common characteristic of a killer with a mother fixation. I feel like this was an afterthought because it's not yeah. seen at all. Like we, It's also like so much darker than like the tone of the film itself to yeah. be going down the, this like profiler, like serial killer um, type stuff. Yeah. It's grim Agreed. and it doesn't fit the rest of the, you know, the tone. Not at all. Can we talk about how the son is just randomly <laughs> standing nearby in his, what is it? Like bright red uh, pantyhose over his head with these, like those 80s, super slim, like sunglasses on. I thought there's another piece to his costume as well, but they just keep flashing back to him. And there's no acknowledgement whatsoever that this random dude is just like listening in on them and Not like creeping all. right by. Not at all. Not to spoil the end of this movie, but he's one of the worst red herrings of all time. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not even trying. Anyway. I, don't, I don't know what they were trying to like pull on the audience with him, but it didn't work. <laughs> um, 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 um. All right. So evil has hitched a ride to the hotel. Still dressed as a priest. <laughs> when he gets out, he thanks the driver and says, go with God. And he sees that uh, there are cops outside the front door. He won't be able to get in. From around a corner, he, uh, at the back of the, he goes around the back of the building and he calls for an officer and says, come give me a hand. I think I found a drunk. And he knocks the officer out with a brick and is a uh, steals his cop uniform, changes mm -hmm. clothes. Again, he is like a man of, a master of disguise. Literally. <laughs> so he walks into the hotel with these. He's now dressed as a cop. And now he has a gun. Also, he has the cop's gun. Yep. When he gets in, he immediately takes off his shirt to change clothes again. Now, Blaze says she wants to run downstairs to change. Her dress is wringing wet. Plus, she needs a little time alone. And Sergeant Green, no, whatever. One of the cops says he's going with her. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
that, you know, they just found one of the police officers knocked out cold in the garage. Now, this is great news that could have been shared before. This is when you have a panic. Like one of our police officers has been knocked out. Yeah, they don't, they miss that opportunity completely. Yeah, he just com- like casually mentions it to her. They go to yeah. her room and the cop checks it out first. Uh, he pulls a gun on Derek, who's laying on the bed. Uh, Being she's very screaming. melodramatic. Yeah. So melodramatic. Like, Christ almighty, oh, kid. Like, he's just, he's, he's just misty-eyed through this entire movie. Uh, he's angry with his mother and says he had had a surprise for her, and right now he doesn't want any part of it. And then he storms out. Blaze asks the cop to wait outside the room while she changes. She'll just be a few minutes. And she sits down in front of her vanity when someone in a creepy fucking mask emerges from behind with a switchblade. Now this, I had to look into it, yeah. is a Hardy mask from the comedy duo, duo Laurel and Hardy. Oh, okay. Or it might be Laurel. It's either Laurel or Hardy. <laughs> One of them. A really interesting choice. I do think it's a creepy mask. It is. It's effective in that way. But is it effective in that it fits the rest of the movie? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not even remotely. No, no, not even a little bit. Now he pockets the switchblade and startles Blaze and she shrieks and he figures he removes the mask and reveals that it's it's evil, our killer. But she recognizes him and calls him Richard. It's her fucking husband. Her husband has been doing these murders the whole time. Yeah, I do kind of appreciate, you know, we were talking about the, it's like a reverse reveal for the slasher, right? Sure. Because we've seen him the whole time and then we come to find out. I didn't mind it. That's like one one win for the film, I suppose. Yeah. I do agree. I think anybody with any sort of sense of story structure would have will have guessed that it's the husband in Palm Springs from the beginning. Completely true. Or at least thought about it. But I had no idea that I did not expect him to be her husband. Mm-mm. Does that make sense? Like, I think you're completely yeah. right. I love the flipped reveal. Uh, unexpected. It, it, it works for what this movie is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's- um, it, it, it's, it's like a standout plot point in a film with a, a very, very bad plot. <laughs> uh, they peck on the lips and uh, he goes and introduces himself to the cop outside and um, then tells Blaze the surprise was Derek's idea. So this is probably what Derek was trying to tell his mom the whole time. Uh, He had driven up from Palm Springs when he heard the crazy guy call into her show. Now, Blaze tells him Yvonne is missing. The police are looking for her, and this maniac has already killed three people. They think now he's after her. She asks that he go find Derek and talk to him about it. He's very upset, and she'll see him after the show. He leaves, and on his way out the door, the cop asks, how the hell did you get into the hotel when no one's been allowed? This is dumb to me. Richard tells him that Ernie, the agent, had said it was okay. When Richard walks away, the cop walkies to verify. Like, he just gave himself away in that he gave him a detail that is completely verifiable. Like, check with Ernie. Did you you tell this guy he could come in? Absolutely not. Like, this place has only been in lockdown for an hour max. He could have just said he was in the room the whole time. Like, yeah, what would he know? Yeah, exactly. Nothing. That's the lie that you come up with? <laughs> Never would have known. Whatever. Richard finds a fuse box next to an elevator and pulls some wires out of a trunk. He is planned ahead. and he, In he, ways I can't even, like what, he's an uh, electrician now? He's a like elevator maintenance dude now? Like, went to DeVry? I don't fucking know. <laughs> 
uh, he he taps into the elevator's security camera and he hacks like he can now control the elevator up and down the speed and everything. Meanwhile, Lieutenant gets a phone call with license plate numbers. They had found a Mercedes abandoned in a drive-in that belongs to Richard Sullivan. And Ernie says that's Blaze's husband. The driver knifed a biker there and escaped in a stolen car with a girl hostage. They also checked the files at the sanitarium. Richard Sullivan was once a patient there. Let's just tack that on to his file as well. And Ernie's just like, I always knew he was a piece of shit or whatever he says. Like, yeah, yeah. Literally, he's a killer. Yeah. So Blaze uh, <laughs> gets in the elevator with uh, Lieutenant Green or Sergeant Green, whatever. And we see an <laughs> upward shot of the elevator shaft. So this is establishing a lot of eleva- elevator movement that's going to come into play. Richard mm-hmm. fucks with the fuse box with a screwdriver and the elevator starts dropping like rapidly. Um, pushing buttons does no good and it's descending super, super quickly. When it reaches the ground level, Green and Blaze are on the ground, um, kind of like out cold. Richard kicks the officer in the face and drags him out of the elevator. And when Blaze comes to, she uh, asks Richard what happened and he tells her that tonight the show's going to go on without her. He has a surprise for her and he pulls out his radio slash tape recorder, his boombox, and plays the playback of Nurse Jane getting killed. And Blaze realizes that Richard is evil, both as a person a character. and as a character. <laughs> <laughs> and we get this fucking monologue, like the ultimate incel, like neutered. Truly. Oh my God. He he did it because he's fed up. And he tells her she's just like every other lady in his life that Derek had told now he's this is where it gets weird. Uh, well, I mean, this is where it delves into even darker territory that Derek had told him about how she behaves around other men and how she tries to turn on her own son and that it's not nice. So like whatever Derek's going through, it is his interpretation that his mom has tried to be sexy to him. Yes. Um, It's kind of a throwaway line. <laughs> He says, ladies are not very nice people, manipulative, deceitful, immoral, and very, very selfish. That's why he killed Yvonne first, because Blaze and Richard had been shortchanging him for years. He had to beg for his allowance. So he's doing this because his wife is a successful celebrity who makes lots Mm -hmm. of money, who shares her money with him. And he feels mad that he has to ask for money, like be given money. He literally says, I've been castrated. (laughs) He does. Yeah, yeah. I think the term is emasculated, but he just goes right into it. He's like, says what he means. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. He pulls out the switchblade, and um, you know, he's he said, yeah, castrated, and that now she's trying to do the same thing with their son, Uh, Derek. This is so dumb. Such a long fucking weird twist. Derek had told Richard he auditioned for the lead in a series and hadn't used his last name. So no one knew he was Blaze's kid and he booked it all on his own. And, uh, you know, she didn't even care when he, when she was told now Blaze tells Richard he's sick. And, uh, Richard says, it's been a very bad year for me, but midnight starts the first day of my new life. And he holds the blade to Blaze's neck and his ultimate end goal for all of this is he says he plans to go to the Rose Bowl game with his boy. <laughs> what? What? Oh, whatever. Uh, 
he puts his head to Blaze's chest and says, I can hear your heart beating. I don't like that. So he chains her to the underside of this elevator and sends her all the way up. Because he sends her all the way up to come all the way down. Yeah. was the foreshadowing. Like, he literally tells her what he's going to do. He's like, enjoy your going away party. Get smashed. (laughs) Yeah, he does say all the way up and all the way down. And it, it, it is very clearly a man in a red jumpsuit as this stunt double like shot oh, from behind Lord, like was. barrel shaped body no waist whatsoever <laughs> like they didn't clearly, even try <laughs> clearly not the actress so at the very top when she gets to the top of this elevator so she's dangling from the bottom of it she sees Yvonne's head uh, has been stuffed in the elevator shaft to, to be hidden there i guess so for her to pass in that exact moment i'm right. not sure i don't yeah. know Uh, The elevator begins to descend rapidly. Meanwhile, Ernie and some cops run toward Richard. There's a shootout and the elevator's control panel gets shot, stopping the elevator and saving Blaze from being crushed underneath it. Somehow when all of this happens, two punks have gotten into the elevator. It's like, there's no coverage of them getting in. We're just to assume that they were in. No, we just see them all of a sudden there. And uh, they're, they're acting as they are descending rapidly is over the top. Ridiculous. There's a chase up the stairwell of the hotel. Richard shoots one of the cops and keeps running. And when he gets to the rooftop, he puts that weird mask back on. Cop tells him to freeze and put the gun down slowly. Richard drops the gun and his switchblade and puts his hands over his masked head. He then recites Hamlet's soliloquy. Hamlet. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Okay. To die to sleep no more and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Why? As if it was his intention all along to kill himself or this is just where he's at. And he's like, oh, this is the perfect time for this. You know, like, I don't know. It's so odd. It's so out of place. It it really is. I don't know if it's the writers trying to be like, see, we're smart. We know about Shakespeare. (laughs) We're elevated horror. (laughs) (laughs) Makes no sense. Uh, So he turns towards the ledge of the rooftop. Lieutenant tells him, don't even consider it, you scum. But then Richard leaps off the building and we see his body falling, story, story, stories. What we don't get to see is the impact. And I think that's a real disappointment. Yeah. Um, we see the aftermath, his body twisted a little bit at, um, on the ground and a crowd of people rushes toward it. I actually like that shot and of looking down and his body's there and then a crowd of people run over to it, like surrounding yeah. him. I was going to say there were some really great shots. There yeah. were a few, maybe less than a handful, but, um, and I went, so I good enough that I went to look at who the cinematographer was. Um, and the guy actually did the cinematography for Beetlejuice and no a handful of other, yeah. Like wow. he has a really wide repertoire, but that's the one that stood out to me the most was Beetlejuice. Yeah. Um, this was very, this, uh, New Year's Evil was very early on in his, um, career. Interesting. Because Beetlejuice was nine years later, yeah. Yeah, I love discovering like people who went on to successful projects, like seeing what they worked on before. Especially if they started with something like this, yeah. Yeah, like I I just uh, did an episode on the movie May by Lucky McKee and discovered that Ryan Johnson, who made like Knives Out and like one of the Star Wars movies was like an editor on May back in like 2000 and whatever, 2002, I think is when it came out, whatever, 2006. Yeah. All right. Back to back to this movie. We're almost yeah. we're, we're right at the end. What am I talking about? So Derek takes the mask off of his father and he cries over his dad's corpse, uh, but he's pulled away by the cops. He's holding the mask. Blaze is 
assumedly taken out of the elevator shaft. She's uh, put on a gurney and into an ambulance, which is revealed to have Derek wearing the mask in the driver's seat with the dead ambulance driver in the passenger seat floor. At which point, yeah, they, um, you hear on the radio that, what is it, Honolulu is about to have their New Year's Eve, like hit their midnight. Yeah, it's like Aloha from Hawaii, Happy New Year's fucking from Honolulu. And then the New Year's Evil theme song plays again. And that's the end of the movie. (laughs) Oh my. What? Yeah. So Derek is going to kill his mom. Now, were they, they must have been in on it, him and his dad, right? Right. Doing this for him. So when Yvonne at the very beginning hears the knock at the door, it must have been Derek knocking. Yeah. And goes back to the shower. And then you see somebody walking away, right? Yeah. Now thinking about it, that's probably his outfit, like the kind of Miami Vice looking jacket. Yeah. Well, all right. That's New Year's <laughs> Evil. Interesting and silly. That you know what? That's what I will call this movie. <laughs> uh, we do on Rick or Treat Horror Cast have a rating system. A movie is either a trick, which means you like it, it's a treat, which means you love it, or it's a smell my feet, which means it sucks. Kristen, how would you rate New Year's Evil? Um, I would rate I honestly I would rate it as a trick. I still, you know, found some entertainment in it. Um, just yeah, it was it was fun. Um, it did make me just want to go back and rewatch Terror Train, which is like a, a super fun New Year's Eve horror movie, including uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't rate it as a smell my feet, but I didn't love it either. So I would say trick for sure. Yeah, I think I'm going to do the same. I don't know that this movie has a ton of rewatchability, although I had forgotten almost everything about it since my last viewing, maybe a year ago. <laughs> so maybe it does have rewatchability and that it'll be a surprise every time. It's uh, It tries too hard at times and then doesn't try hard enough at others. It's misguided and unbalanced. But like you said, enter- there's entertainment in it. like, And it, it moves quickly. You know, there, there's not a lot of like dead space going on in this movie it's it's full of nonsense but it's nonsense that moves the plot forward and maybe it's the cast too like honestly they're all watchable um yeah for sure that is i would true. give it a watch at least one watch you have to say that you watched new year's evil that's it at least once agreed i would not not recommend this movie i would also just not tell people to expect much you go in you know what you go in expect nothing you'll have a great absolutely. time yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, holy cow, Kristen, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on this show with me. I I really, really enjoy you. I think you're one of the coolest people uh, in filmmaking. So thank you. Thank you. I was so happy to have met you. It's just a whole, um, it's an energy thing. And like your vibe just checks off every single box of like, awesome. So I'm really glad I got to meet you. And I am grateful that you asked me to join your podcast as well. Good. And I look forward to your, yeah, your screenplay in 2024. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, yeah. We have a karaoke date. You and I, we're going to, we're absolutely oh, going to yeah. go belt it out together. Where can my listeners find you and find your work? Where can they stalk you? Yeah. Um, right now it's just my Instagram is where I post all of the movie news. Um, so it's just at Kristen Noriega, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-R-I-E-G-A. Um, that's how you can keep track of, uh, the progress on the feature as well. Excellent. 
fucking incredible. Congratulations again. I can't wait to see what comes of your feature. Uh, you can follow Rick or Treat Horrorcast on Instagram at Rick or Treat Pod. And my YouTube, like I mentioned before, has taken off. And uh, you can follow that. You just have to type Rick or Treat Horrorcast like as a whole, or you're not going to find it. Um, and hey, if you want to leave me a little treat, my Venmo is at Rick or Treat. It's a lot of work that goes into this podcast. All right. Once again, Kristen, thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. And we'll see y'all later, spookies. Thanks for coming, Rick or Treating. It'd be a real scream if you'd take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever platform you're listening on. The show's spooky intro and outro music is a cover of Camille Saint-Saëns' Danse Macabre with orchestrations composed and performed by Lestat von Monlicht. My website, rickertreat.com, is designed and maintained by Evelyn DeVere. The show's social media content is created by my evil minion and social media manager, Stanley Martin. The Rick or Treat logo was designed by Philip Romano. Contact information and links to these artists can be found in the episode description. Check them out, they're frighteningly talented. Rick or Treat Horrorcast is independently produced by me, Ricky J. Duarte, of Rick or Treat Productions. If you like what you heard, tell a fiend. I mean, friend. If you didn't, well, they're coming to get you, listener. 